Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in the world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. Om Shanti. The time that we choose to be aware doesn't necessarily require me to just sit and meditate. But even while I walk and move around, I can be in a meditative awareness, which is awareness of the soul, the original, eternal, imperishable being of light. For a little while, I'd like to invite you to be present, to be here, and to be now. Allow your mind to settle in the moment, to relax. This meditation is about awareness. It's about becoming aware of your original and eternal self. It's about connecting to your truth. Let go of your name. And observe yourself feeling nameless. Let go of your gender to discontinue thinking you're a man or a woman. Let it go and observe how you would feel walking around without a gender. Let go of the role that you play and let go of the titles that you own. Observe how you're feeling as you are gradually letting go. Let go of your religion and put it aside just for now. And let go of your nationality and even the language that you're accustomed to. Imagine you have no name, gender, role, title, religion, nationality, or even a language. 
ask yourself, how do you feel at this moment? And in this feeling, who would think of you and who would you think of? Supreme Soul would think of you, and you, the liberated soul, would think of the Supreme. In this state of absolute freedom, I am truly who I am. A free Peaceful, pure, immortal, and eternal soul. Allow yourself to just be absorbed in this awareness. Hi everyone, welcome to America Meditating Radio. I'm your host, Sister Jenna. It always delights me that you can take this time with all the various podcasts that are out there. You actually like to take your pause and just tune in to one that has maintained its sincerity, genuinity, haven't become too commercialized, and has continued to really have some of the most prolific, best experts and speakers to take us to that another level, to take us that extra step in life. And that's really what I think many of us are aspiring, to get into that zone, to really recognize that life is about building our capacity. And it doesn't mean that I have to step on everyone's feet to get there. It just means that I should just walk and travel and climb with everyone. That's a big, big thing right now, everyone, especially in the United States, where I am in Washington, D.C., been interesting to observe the climate of attitude. There's this sense, and I'm not saying this is the reality, if you're looking from outside in, you get the sense that folks are just all out for themselves. Great friendships of many years have now broken apart. Some individuals feel they're in power, they're in control. This is what they're getting, this is who they are. They just won't stop until they can consume as much as they can as a result of the climate that we're in. But I have noticed once the trust begins to wane really deeply, it's natural for people to be all out for themselves and not necessarily thinking about the well-being of another. In reality, we need each other, despite what anyone ever thinks, because you have four walls and it's protecting or covering you, your thoughts contributing to the collective. Your choices are contributing to the collective. Your whole vibration, your presence is contributing to the collective. So what are you willing to change today? And how do you want to show up in form of um, a good role model, a good form of leadership? Today our special guest is someone that I'm looking forward to learning more about. 
Mimi Nicklin is an author and a host of the Empathy for Breakfast, the breakfast show as well as the Secrets of the Gap podcast. She's a well-known empathetic leader, keynote speaker, and a columnist. Mimi is driven by the pursuit of bringing conscientiousness to the role and impact of regenerative leadership with a desire to actually make the world of work a more empathetic, valuable, and sustainably healthy her new book is titled Softening the Edge, Empathy, How Humanity's Oldest Leadership Trait is Changing Our World. Please welcome Mimi Nicklin to the air. Mimi, so glad to have you with us. So glad to be here. Thank you for having me. I love the Middle East, which I know is where you are, and it just feels like you're bringing just this energy of the culture and the richness of the Middle East here. We thank you for that. Oh, thank you. It's an honor to be dialing in from here all the way to where you're sitting today. Amazing. Our technology has changed the way we communicate, hasn't it? Absolutely. Opened up a whole new world. Did you remember the days, Mimi, when we would study in school and we would hear about smoke signals and the Morse code? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, our children are never even going to know what that means. The Morse code, the smoke signals and even before that, the telepathy that people had between each other, because there weren't all those distractions. People just knew what another person was going through and what they were feeling. Absolutely. Yes, I think we've lost that knack over time. You're right. There's a lot of distractions now. You know, right now, there's a great need for leadership to be on the world stage to somehow model to our upcoming generations what is a really good form of leadership. And of course, you and I both know it's somebody who walks their talk. Now, there are some leaders who do that. They could be very vicious and they show you that. That makes them a good leader in that particular area. But I'm talking about the kind of leadership that has a sense of sensitivity, maturity, empathy, compassion. We hear a lot about empathy. And I'd be curious for you to share with our amazing listeners, how would you describe what it actually means and what does empathy look like to you? Yes, absolutely. I would love to. I mean, for me, my passion, my book, all of my work is dedicated exactly to this discussion, which is, you know, what is leadership when it's empathetic? Why do we need more empathetic leadership? And what does it look like? For me, the leadership that we need today and tomorrow and and for all of our tomorrows are leadership teams that understand the people that they're working with, that make a comprehensive decision to have relationships with those people that goes far beyond their output, the value that they're creating for that business, and actually focuses on the values of those people that make up those teams. We do, of course, know that this is not just a wonderful human trait and something that is authentic and true to who we are as people, but that it does well for business. So we know that when leaders connect with their teams and look after their teams, care for their roles, we see all kinds of performance indicators go up including morale, happiness, and lower levels of things like anxiety. So for me, this sustainable form of leadership is the only option we have. So why do you think it's waning? Why is it that we're not able to really see it? Because that makes sense to me, that if I feel confident, happy, more comfortable with you, then wouldn't that be a better form of leadership? But there's still some leaders who seem to be quite insecure in their position of leadership. And so there's more of a dogmatic 
very rough approach towards what's going on. Absolutely right. And you said insecure there, and, and that really is a key part of this. There's a few reasons why we see leaders not exhibiting this more empathetic, emotionally intelligent leadership. Often it does come down to insecurity or even fear when you really unpack with leaders why they're behaving in a way that could be perceived as negative or less connected or perhaps a bit abrupt. Insecurity and fear do play a large role. The second part of that is that many leaders today, particularly leaders beyond the millennial generation, haven't been trained this way. So they simply haven't had experience in this form of leadership. You know, they grew up in the 80s and the 90s, which were very industrial years. And arguably, no leaders at that time needed to concentrate on their people because they were just making money, you know, left, right and center, and everyone was running after money. Some of these leaders have simply not seen a world that demands of and expects this form of leadership, and therefore don't have the experience, and on occasion, the desire to make a change to be that way. How did they get a position of leadership? Is it just because they were running out of the money, things were going, and people were moving with them because sometimes people just squash values and integrity if they're making a few thousand or a few million. How does someone actually get to a position that's given them the title leader? There's two ways, really. I mean, one is technical skill, particularly in businesses where there is a technical-based output. People with really high levels of technical skill often, you know, get promoted and promoted and promoted and then suddenly find themselves a leader, on occasion, they don't even want that. So, you know, they've been so busy sort of doing their jobs and going up the ranks that one day when someone says, right, now I'm into a leadership role, they didn't even really want that. You know, they were quite happy with their craft and doing every day. And suddenly they've been moved into a more overseeing role because of their craft. The other might be that they're moving up in those organizations that don't have this culture anyway. Mm-hmm. And sadly, there are many You know, culture starts at the top. And if you want an empathetic or an emotionally intelligent culture, it has to come from the top. And if you're in an organization that doesn't value that, then they have been busy promoting leaders without that, you know, arguably, potentially for many decades. That may never have been a requirement of them and the wider business. And therefore, they've never needed to hone or pay much attention to it. What would you say is the science of empathy and why does being empathetic actually seems to be a cure for what's going on in the world today. The reality is with empathy is that this is a skill that we're all born with. There is an often misunderstanding out there that some people are born with more or less empathy, which actually isn't true, built into our brain. It's an evolutionary skill. And as humanity, we evolve to use the skill for mutual and individual, but mutual gain. Empathy allows us to thrive. It allows us to connect with people. It allows us to grow together. It fundamentally fulfills the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. As humans, our most basic need, our most fundamental request of the planet really is to be seen and to be heard. And that's really what empathy is all about. Empathy is the skill set that allows us to see and hear others, to take their perspective, to see the world as they do. You mentioned science. We know from scientific and academic experiments, but also just from sort of social patterns and behavior, that when people feel understood, when they feel seen and heard, all kinds of positive indicators improve from mental health and well-being, happiness and joy, confidence, risk-taking, innovation, lower self-censorship. Fundamentally, as people, we do better together. And that's what empathy is all about, about connecting us together. 
Beautiful. During this particular COVID period, whatever it is, people aren't physically connecting as much. They are virtually, just like we are. How do you speak to that in terms of the work culture and even the form of leadership where just about majority of the world, especially corporate, they're dealing with business as usual through a portal, through a Zoom, through some form of technology. Is there something happening there? Do you think people are leaning towards becoming more empathetic as a result of the pandemic? I think it's mixed. In some ways, yes. You know, the reality of having screens in everybody's homes is that we are getting insight into people's personal lives and lifestyles that we never have before. You're seeing people's families, their living rooms, their husbands and wives, their dogs, their pets. So in that way, our empathy is going up. We have a much deeper sense of shared understanding. Certainly as a mum myself, there is a far deeper understanding now of my role as a mum within my corporate career and, and what my daughter needs of me in my time. In other ways, of course, and I think this is increasing as the pandemic goes on, people are more and more comfortable just turning their camera off. This sort of niceties or politeness of sort of really asking how people are is waning as people sit on video calls for hours and hours a day. And I was on a call just this morning with 14 people and I was the only one with my camera on. Everybody else, you know, I looked at black screens for the entire meeting. So in that way, that is dampening our empathy because of course, 83% of our communication is nonverbal. So if I can't even see you, very difficult to empathize with you. I love that. I know one of the things that I've not really appreciated in my Zoom sessions is when someone doesn't have their video on. Because come on, we're already isolated. You know, can I just see you, please? Absolutely. Congratulations on the release of your new book. You must be really excited. I'm softening the Edge. Could you tell us a little bit about it and why you chose to write it? Thank you. Yes, it's been such a beautiful passion project. I say to people that really I feel like the book wrote me rather than the other way around because... Really, I felt so passionately about writing this down. In 2018, two things really sort of prompted me to write. As you said, I was in the Middle East. I took over a global business, an American business here, and was faced with a business turnaround that I was not really expecting. And I chose to do that with empathy, with people at the heart. And this book really tells the story of how I did that. But beyond that, from a bigger picture point of view, in that summer, I learned about two pieces of data that really had a huge impact on my life. One of them was the World Health Organization data that shows that the second biggest killer of our youth, so 14 to 24-year-olds, is suicide. And when our children are choosing to not stay on this planet and thrive with us, we have a problem. The second thing that I came to understand was related to gun crime, actually, in the U.S., and this is not an isolated reality, but I happened to be reading at the time a report about education in schools and how children at the age of four are taught to hide in bathroom cubicles their feet up. So if a gunman comes into their school, they won't know the children are in the bathroom and shoot them through the door. Now, these are pieces of data I came across in that summer. And as I said, this is not remotely isolated to the U.S., but happened to be data skewed in that direction. And what I started to do was to map the empathy deficit, so the declining levels of empathy to some of these areas, these gaps, these areas of loneliness and depression, anxiety, 
even increase violence, increase narcissism, and felt that somebody should be writing about this. My passion for this first book has been to really talk about the corporate world, the business world, the world of work, because we spend five-sevenths of our life working, most of us. And if we have a gap in empathy for five-sevenths of our lives, and when you match that to the loneliness endemic that's happening all over the planet, we really do have a problem. So my vision for this book is to elevate the conversation around empathy, what it is, why we need it, the power of what empathy can be doing for us at work and in our communities. Um, Because as a marketer, what I know is that if we have a hope in changing behavior for better, for bringing our people together, making a healthy change, we need first to drive awareness. So that's really my passion, drive awareness, drive conversation, and hopefully inspire some people to think about empathy a little bit more often. Thank you for doing that. Also in the book, you talk about regenerative leadership. I know you've touched on it already, but just a little bit more because What you've just said made sense to me. And of course, for the life of me, I wouldn't understand why it doesn't for others. But then, of course, I've understood that each one is a soul on their own individual journey. And they're also trying to figure life out. And we don't know what are their traumas that they've been through at a soul level that would perhaps make the way that they do life a little bit more complex. I've witnessed with my own life when everything is done with love and respect beauty in the atmosphere. But I've also witnessed when it's not done with love and respect, and it's a challenge, and it's a test. And there's selfishness, and there's fear, and there's arrogance, and there's bossiness. It also has a way of moving you from within somewhere else. Have you ever been in that position where it wasn't done well for you, but your thoughts went somewhere else? to dig deeper in you and what came out of that was something incredible as a gift or as a realization. So the point that I'm making is on one level, the love and respect that we want in the workplace or just in our lives makes it feel like we're in heaven. And then on another level, when it isn't like that, it takes us into a place where we are sort of regenerating ourselves to be a better version, at least I think that's what we're trying to do. Could you speak to that, please? Is your regenerative leadership something similar to that, where you're going deeper inside to bring out a better version of you as you lead? Absolutely. It is. It's very related to the references you're talking about there in terms of really bringing soul to your role, right? I mean, I think for a very long time, we've been on autopilot. And you can see that in the levels of burnout all around the world and the number of people that are taking antidepressants in order to get through their job. And for me, I mean, this is just not sustainable, right? Regenerative leadership is a term that I've coined to use to talk about how we as leaders, and that can be at any level, not just the top leadership of a business, anyone that is leading a team, a sports team, a community group, anything, how we can be regenerating people, regenerating those around us, regenerating our planet. Because you know what? There's nothing on earth that just grows and grows and grows, right? Trees, plants, fish, animals, nothing grows forever. So why is it that we assume business should? Every year at the beginning of the financial year, we talk about double digit growth, increasing our profits. We're not regenerating anything. We're just assuming perpetual growth. That's really why I talk about regenerative leadership. It's growth 
in a way that regenerates all of us, that, as I said, brings more soul to the role of our time in our organization. I love that, more soul to the role. As we're looking at this particular time in our history, do you think that leadership is really shifting towards being more empathetic and softening, especially in women? Because I found that women tend to be like they have to really fight their way through when they're reaching the top tier of the corporate ladder. Do you find that individuals are really coming to a point that it's exhausting to try to sustain an illusion versus to just be real in whatever you need in the business, whatever you need in the staff, whatever you think you can offer your staff? I'll give you a story. One year I was going through just a rough patch and I remembered telling staff and everyone, I'm not doing so well. So guys, if you could just step up. And there was just something in that in which everybody stepped up sort of like 10 times more than they would normally. And I wasn't concerned about, oh, well, if she's going through that, well, this, it didn't matter. But what I was conveying is more, look, we're all in this together. Yes, I have experience in certain places that maybe you don't. Yes, I have more responsibility in particular areas, but I'm also human and we're in this together. And there was something that had really touched a very deep place in me. One was when the whole team just stepped up without any judgment. You didn't feel that vibration from anyone that, oh my, why is she like this? It was like, this is what we have to do. I'm just wondering, how are women actually faring out in the world of leadership right now? Are they getting a little bit softer, more genuine? Are they being more themselves or are they still trying to fight their way through to be heard and seen in the corporate space? I think the answer very much depends on the organization, but also the geographical marketplace, because all around the world, we're seeing very different levels of empathetic understanding and of gender equity and equality. So that journey is very different for women and men uh, all over the world, really. I love your story, and I've experienced it myself, that when you are honest, when you share empathy with others, when you allow them to step into your world and understand what you're going through you do on the whole find that people will lean into that with you because empathy is something that we're naturally good at we were born to do this we're born with it it's a choice and sometimes people don't choose to activate it as much as they could but as with your story what I have found with my teens is that the more I empathize with them the more they empathize back there is something about empathy, and I talk about this in my book, that creates a ripple effect. Because empathy is built into our brains, it's subconscious on many levels. And as human beings, we want to connect. That's a very deep need. It's physiological as well as sort of emotional. So yeah, I think that women and men, as I said, are on a journey to become more authentic, true versions of themselves. There are some organizations that don't allow for that. But COVID is certainly changing the speed of that change. And as people have been stuck at home, working from home for a long time, many are questioning what work means to them. What are their values? What do they want mm -hmm. from work? What do they want from these five sevenths of the week? The need to be authentic, connected, true versions in, as I said, the five sevenths of their week is increasing all the time. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? Many of us tend to be our worst critics. And it often leads to stress and many other disempowering things. You talk about the power of self-empathy and how can we be more kinder 
to ourselves. I know that when I get criticized, and I still don't know why I do this, the more criticisms you send my way, the better I get. And I almost want people to keep criticizing me so I can keep getting better. And I'm never quite sure why I got wired that way. If it's very loving and praise and all of that, that's great. And I respect it and I appreciate it. There's something that happens when I feel like someone has called me out on something that I either don't think is true or I suspect there might be an element of truth in there that I might need to tap into. And it somehow just drives me. Now, some of us can be personally our worst critics. And I wonder if by doing so, it's a mechanism that we've formed to kind of take us to another level. Could you talk a little bit about that, the power of self-empathy and what can we do to be just a little bit more kinder to ourselves? Absolutely. It's, as you said, it's such a critical part of dealing with criticism, with uh, conflict, with any tension or any disruption that you find in your life. And one of the key reasons that self-empathy is so important is that we cannot be resilient if we don't have self-empathy because resilience takes a lot of strength, it takes a lot of energy. And if we're not kind to ourselves, if we're not being empathetic to our own realities and health and what we need as people, very difficult to deliver on resilience in the world today. How can we do that? Listening is the backbone to all empathy and being able to listen to yourselves, to your bodies, to your heart, to your emotions is critical. And you know, we run really fast in life and that is often our biggest issue. We just don't stop to absorb how we're feeling, to recognize how we're feeling. We bury these things and sometimes it's far easier to be empathetic to others than it is to ourselves. So in many ways, COVID-19 has also helped some people who have found that being locked inside, staying at home has really improved their self-empathy because they have been able to slow down, to listen to themselves and to really observe what's good for them, what makes them feel good, what makes them feel secure versus insecure, what feeds them on an emotional and a soul and a health level. So listening to ourselves, awareness and giving ourselves time to recognize those realities that may be through taking time for breathing exercises, for meditation, for a walk outside somewhere when we're able to give us the time to connect with who we are and what we need. You know, there are two great enemies to empathy, time and stress. So reducing mm -hmm. stress and increasing time are going to be the two best things you can offer yourself whilst moving towards more self-empathy. Do you have any tips that can help anyone out there to create more empathy with their spouses or partner, children or family members? Absolutely. As I said, listening is really the key to all of this. So as I mentioned earlier, body language, nonverbal communication is really very important in those conversations. There's a reason that parenting books often tell parents of young children to kneel down to talk to toddlers. As a mum of a toddler, I can vouch for the fact that it works. Eye contact is incredibly important. When you're listening to people, you need to truly hear what they're saying, not just hear their words, but be able to listen. The key behind that is curiosity because inquiry drives understanding. So when you want to more deeply connect with your spouse, your children, your siblings, being curious, asking them, what did you mean by that? How did you get to that decision? What led you 
to say that or think that. You're listening to understand and not to reply or even to judge. So listening is really such a key part of that and doing that with your whole body, with your eyes, with your smile, shoulders facing them, don't cross your arms, put down your cell phone and let those people feel heard and feel seen. And you'll notice very quickly, as I mentioned earlier, empathy is sort of contagious. Very quickly, those relationships open up. That's beautiful. You've offered us so much. There's no doubt that somebody's going to walk away with a step or two. On a personal level, how are you doing in terms of just the enormous changes happening for every one of us? How have you been coping with the shift and what's been new for you? Thank you for asking. Really, it's always so kind when someone takes the time to actually say, how are you and mean it. So right now, I've come to the end of a long journey of writing a book. The book has been out now for about five weeks. And for me, that has been such a landmark moment in my journey when you start to see your words and your passion and your thoughts impacting and helping other people. I find that incredibly energizing. At the end of writing, which is a very lonely time, a lonely time on top of a lonely time because I'm a mum, I'm away from my family, I'm in a region that's not my home. And of course, we've been on lockdown for a large part of the year. So on top of being physically alone, I'm writing, which is a very lonely role. But for me now, as I said, seeing those words in the world, knowing that I can help people, which is also a core facet of empathy, wanting to help, wanting to connect with others. I am now joyful. I am feeling energized and passionate about the future. For every person just like you that wants to have a conversation, that wants to talk about empathy, that wants to do something that's wonderful in the world to help other people, allows me to wake up the next day with more energy and more bounce in my steps. So thank you for asking. I'm really well, very positive and really hopeful that this is a conversation and an opportunity for the future of our people. I'm sure it is. Where can our listeners find more information about you and your book? And are you creating any events online that they can participate in? I have a breakfast show. I think you mentioned it at the beginning. It's called Empathy for Breakfast. You can find it at empathyforbreakfast.com. Unfortunately, the breakfast time is in this side of the world and not your side of the world. (laughs) So they'll have to tune in perhaps over lunch. Empathyforbreakfast.com is my breakfast show. I have a podcast called Secrets of the Gap, which is conversations with all kinds of leaders and thought provokers around the world about empathy, kindness, leadership. And of course, my book, as you mentioned, Softening the Edge, is available on Amazon.com. I'm most active on Instagram. So at Mimi Nicklin is my Instagram handle. And I'm sharing lots of video, visual and audio content on there all the time. Well, Mimi, thank you so much for the richness that you've offered us today. I'm sure that it's going to help us to be a little bit better. Stay safe and true and continue to bring your light into the world. I really appreciate that. And keep enjoying being a mom during a pandemic. I know that that's a big learning curve for everyone. It definitely is. And I echo your words. Please keep doing what you're doing because it's just such a wonderful platform for people to listen to your wisdom and all the wonderful people you have on the show. So thank you very much for having me. And I look forward to hearing more. Yes, definitely. We'll stay in touch. All the very best. Take care. 
Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. So everyone, I hope you enjoyed Mimi. I thought that she left us with so much. So that's Mimi Nicklin. And if you'd like some more information, go to her website at MimiNicklin.com. Such a need nowadays, no empathy. It's so priceless. And of course, I'm recalling some times when I'm just not empathetic with myself or even with family or staff. And I don't feel good. She's so right. We're like naturally wired to be empathetic. And for some folks who seem to be so callous and cold and I don't care and I'm just going to bully you around and who cares about you, get rid of this one. I just can't understand what must be going through the fiber of their soul. The natural nature of the soul is to be kind and thoughtful and caring. So it's almost as if you're killing your spirit each time you lack empathy. And I hope that the next normal in our 2021 will be an upsurge of just the most caring, kindest people that we could possibly be. So remember, some more information for Mimi Nicklin, just go to her website or get a copy in The Edge, Empathy, How Humanity's Oldest Leadership Trait is Changing Our World. So if you love the show, feel free to let us know. And remember, no one can take away your happiness unless you give them permission. And we really are here to love each other the same. I'm going to end with a new track that I've released with Ricky Cage, Grammy Award winner, Vibrations of Love. Take it in, absorb it, enjoy it. Talk to you again soon. Take care, everyone. Many good wishes. Vibrations of love. And some say love is a verb. But much deeper than that, love is a vibration. It is that energy that stirs the soul and opens up the heart. Vibrations of love call out to the divine that connects us with the beauty of life and the oneness of it all. I need not to say it with words, although it is always nice to hear, but greater still, Feel it. Vibrations of love lift me higher and I fill the empty spaces within the soul. It is the divine in its purest essence. 
it is me at the height of my being. I am vibrations of love. I'm Sister Jenna. You've been listening to America Meditating Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Did you enjoy that conversation? Because you can also listen to it on Spotify or on iTunes, 24-7, anytime, anywhere. I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in, and do be easy on yourself. Take care.